0: There's a battle going
1: on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever dear. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'm
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick ball of the Gospel Defender Ministries, the message you are about to hear will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian clothed with the armor of a Gospel Defender. I'll
1: not
2: 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 31. The apostle Paul uses the words foolish and foolishness six different times. We might call this section of scripture one of Paul's ingenious foolish sermons. Paul's final foolish statement in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 is one that is worth our time to consider. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. We have many so-called wise people in the world today. They are wise when it comes to making sound financial investments and becoming millionaires as early as 20. Some are wise, When it comes to political maneuvering And some are wise in their particular field of expertise Such as math or science or medicine And then of course there are some who are just plain wise guys Who think they know it all But as Paul has stated They are put to shame by God By the foolish things of the world We look at some of these foolish things of God at this time. One of the earliest accounts which demonstrates the wisdom of God in putting to shame the wise is seen in the Ark of Genesis chapter 6. Most people have some knowledge of Noah and the Ark. Because of the wickedness of man, God decided to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. This was utterly inconceivable to those living at that time, since it had never rained on God's creation. To believe there would be a flood was utter foolishness. And even more foolish was for Noah and his family to build an ark that would house his family and the animals of the earth, Noah surely must have been the laughing stock of his neighborhood. God gave Noah the precise measurements and the material specifications regarding the construction of it. But while the ark was being prepared, Noah did more than hammer nails. He hammered God's message to repent. He preached to his world about the impending destruction of the earth but no one listened. It was one great big fat joke as far as those living at the time were concerned. The message was a joke and the ark was a joke. The whole episode was foolishness to the wise. Nevertheless, what God promised and what Noah preached came to pass. What was foolishness to those living wise souls? turned out to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We are told by the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 that only eight souls were saved, and they were saved through water. There are those who do not like that statement of Peter about being saved by water, but it is in their Bible. The wise among us call this water salvation and mock this doctrine. But remember, the foolishness of God is stronger than men. And then another account in which we see the wisdom of God putting to shame the wise is seen in the Rock of Exodus chapter 17. In this chapter we find the Israelites pitched in Rephidim, where there was no water for them to drink. The people of God have always murmured against God and God's men, and we find them doing so here. They murmured against the leadership of Moses. So what could he do but turn to the Lord? The Lord had the answer. He said, You shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. Moses obeyed and water came forth. What would you think if you saw someone with a stick in his hand hitting a rock and saying this was where you would be getting your drinking water? Surely the idea must have sounded foolish to those who were there, and even more foolish to watch. But remember, the foolishness of God is stronger than men. Since water is essential for the continuation of life, we could safely conclude that these Old Testament Jews were saved by Moses striking the rock. Had there been denominationalists there on that day, they would have accused Moses of preaching rod salvation. But the fact of the matter is, he merely obeyed God's instructions which were foolishness to the wise. A third account in which we see the wisdom of God putting to shame the wise is seen in the scapegoat of Leviticus chapter 16. On the great day of atonement, the Old Testament high priest would perform various rituals inside and outside the tabernacle or temple. Towards the end of his ministry on that day, which temporarily forgave for one more year the sins of the Old Testament Israelites, the high priest's ministry involving the scapegoat took place. After offering the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat, the high priest would place his hands on the head of the goat chosen by Lot and release it into the wilderness. This symbolized the releasing of the sins of the people for one more year. Of course, all of this was done according to the instructions of God. But to the ignorant, it must have seemed to be the height of foolishness. There was no power in the goat itself to forgive sins. The power was not in the goat, but the power was in the act of obeying God's will. Had there been denominationalists around at that time, Aaron and the high priests who came along after him would have been accused of practicing goat salvation. Of course they weren't, but the facts of the word have never been an obstacle for those who choose not to accept its authority. It will be a sobering moment for the goats on the left hand of Christ on the day of judgment to realize that because of their disdain for the authority of God's word, they find themselves going into an eternity of separation from God with their own sins having never been released by the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God. THE FOURTH ACCOUNT IN WHICH WE SEE THE WISDOM OF GOD PUTTING TO SHAME THE WISE IS SEEN IN THE BRAZEN SERPENT OF NUMBERS CHAPTER 21. WE ARE TOLD IN THIS CHAPTER THAT BECAUSE GOD'S PEOPLE CONTINUALLY MURMURED, GOD SENT FIERY SERPENTS AMONG THE PEOPLE, AND THEY BIT THE PEOPLE, AND MANY OF THE PEOPLE OF ISRAEL DIED. After the people complained to Moses about this, he prayed and was told by God to make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. This event would not have been scripted in this way by those in Hollywood today, the manner in which God healed the people bitten by snakes wouldn't make sense to them. But remember, they are the wise who are put to shame by God's choice of using foolish things of the world to show His sovereignty. The solution certainly wouldn't be by looking at the very reptile that caused the problem in the first place. It would have been made more sense to Hollywood to have a bottle of anti-venom on a pole, or maybe a figure of a doctor, but surely not a fiery serpent. Had Hollywood producers and directors on the scene been denominationalists, they would have complained that this would look too much like snake salvation. But God did what God did, and it not only made sense, It worked. What denominationalists fail to see is that the salvation of those Old Testament saints was not in the fiery serpent, but in their obedience to look upon that fiery serpent. The fifth episode concerning the wisdom of God, putting to shame the wise, is seen in the walls of Jericho, Joshua chapter 6. God's people had to take the city of Jericho, and God's plan was for the people to march once around the city for six straight days, and on the seventh day to march around the city seven times, while priests blew ram's horns. Then they were to give a big shout. God said if they would do that, The walls would fall down flat and the people of God could march into the city victoriously. Today we would send in our Scud missiles and our smart bombs. But God said to march around the walls and shout and toot a trumpet. It must have looked ridiculous to the occupants of the city. But it worked. When they did what God said to do, God did what he said he would do. It wasn't their marching power or their shouting power or their tooting power that defeated the city. Their power was in doing what God said to do. Now one more Old Testament example of what appeared to be foolishness to the wise. This is the account of the dipping in water of 2 Kings chapter 5. It is in this account that we are told of Naaman and his leprosy. He was told how to rid himself of the leprosy he had contracted. The solution was quite simple. He was to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. We are told that Naaman had a real problem with this solution to his problem. The idea of dipping himself in the Jordan River was absolute foolishness. As far as he was concerned, if he had to dip himself in water, he thought that it made no difference where he dipped. He preferred the rivers of Abana and Farpar over the waters of Jordan. But it was not until he did what God said to do, that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was cleaned. Today denominationalists would scream to high heaven with this solution to Naaman's problem. Those who have little regard for rendering obedience to God's word would be quick to complain that this looks too much like water salvation. Of course, it wasn't the water that cleansed Naaman. It was his obedience to God's terms for receiving his cleansing, Ladies and gentlemen, there is a reason for God relating these six Old Testament accounts, which to the unwise appear to be absolute foolishness and folly. It is this, to reject God's word because one fails to see the purpose of doing what God says to do in the way he has said to do it, is the height of foolishness. Increasing numbers within the religious world today, including the church that Jesus built, are guilty of rebelling against what the Bible says to do to be saved from sin and the terms for living an obedient Christian life. There is great opposition to the Word of God when it comes to how one receives the merits of the blood of Christ. God's word could hardly be more understandable than what it is in Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Or in Acts 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, how hard is it to understand these two statements? Salvation takes place only when and after one is immersed into Christ for that reason. But there are those who ridicule this truth. What power does the water have to forgive sins? They ask. The answer is the same. As the Old Testament accounts of which we have just spoken. There is as much power in the waters of baptism to forgive sins as there was in the ark, the rod, the scapegoat, the fiery serpent, the walls, and the dipping. The power was not in any of those. The power was in obedience. Have you not heard that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What power does a sinner's prayer have to forgive sins? What power does an altar call have to forgive sins? The answer to both of these questions is, of course, absolutely none. Not only is there no power in a sinner's prayer or an altar call, there is no record of either of them being prescribed for salvation in the New Testament revelation of God. Baptism in water for the remission of sins is abhorred by the denominational world. Even in the New Testament church that Jesus built, there are those who no longer see the need. To obey this command of Christ to receive salvation. We are told that all we need to do is to come to the cross in faith, and there and then we will receive salvation. That may sound religious, but it isn't what the Bible teaches. Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6, We must not stop at the cross but be buried into the death of Christ. His burial did not occur at the cross. His death did. His resurrection did not occur at the cross. His death did. We must be resurrected with Christ. It is not enough to stop where Jesus died. We must continue to his grave and be buried if we are to be resurrected with him. There is great opposition to the Word of God when it comes to the blood of Christ. There is great opposition to the Word of God regarding the remembrance of his blood. The weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, where his blood is remembered each Lord's day, is foolishness. In the eyes of those who profess to be wise concerning the scriptures. The wise tell us that to observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week makes the supper too routine, too common. It is foolishness to think that Christians must come to the table every week, we are told. But the Bible teaches differently. The Bible tells us that under the leadership of the apostles, the early church broke bread every Lord's Day. The cup, which is the blood of Christ, is on the table every Lord's Day as a reminder to us of the cost of our salvation. The same is true of the loaf. A weekly Lord's Supper looks foolish to the wise, they see no importance to observe it weekly. In spite of the fact that Christ said, This do in remembrance of me, the wise have no interest in remembering him each week. But God has commanded it, and those of us who are stupid enough to believe that God knew what he was talking about still observe it on a weekly basis not because there is salvation in the table, but because there is salvation in obeying God's commands. Sad but true is the fact that even in the church that Jesus built, there are those who think they are wiser than God. God has commanded the saved to assemble on the first day of the week. But those who profess to be wiser than God believe that God was foolish in commanding this and therefore attend or absent themselves from the assembly as they see fit. Many people, both in and out of the church, decide to ignore God's commands only because His commands seem to them to be foolish. They make no sense to them. The biggest fools of all are those who neglect to take God at His word. Those who believe and obey God's word are spiritually wise, wise for salvation, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The writer of Proverbs stated it well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To those who ridicule the idea that God is the God who means what he says, there is another scripture that may very well apply to you before this day is over. Fool, this night your soul will be required of you.
1: There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever near. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'll not
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Brydenbaugh speaking. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built and preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late. Our mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575, Chillicothe, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Chillicothe, Ohio, Zip. 45601. You can also contact us through the world wide web at gospel defenderorg or by email at agosdef A-G-O-S-D-E-F, agosdef def at roadrunner.com. At your request. A written transcript or an audio copy of today's message will be sent to you free of charge with no obligation from you now or in the future. We need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now until you and I meet again at this same time and in this same place, Our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense of the gospel.